Hey, this is Shane Valenstein, the pastor at City on a Hill Community Church. I want to welcome you to our sermon podcast. I hope that this podcast helps you grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you want to learn more about our church, you can visit us at cityonahillmd.org. Enjoy the message. So this week, we are still in the middle of our Boom Roasted series. So if you haven't been here all month or from, since June, what we've been doing for this series is we've been answering questions that you have submitted. So any, we, we've come along and we've said, hey, if there are anything that you're like, man, I would love to know about this, or I, I'm confused by this, uh, we, we, uh, we've been taking your questions and we've been trying to answer as many as possible. So, so far, these are the questions that we've answered. So if you're like, oh, that's really interesting, you can go back on our YouTube page or our podcast. We have a podcast, Apple, Spotify, anywhere you get podcasts of the sermon audio. So if you ever miss it and you want to check it out, here are the questions we've answered. Uh, We answered, why are there so many versions of the Bible, which is a really good question. Uh, We answered, what do you do when your dreams don't align with your responsibilities and how do you know that your purpose in life is being fulfilled? Uh, We also talked about, uh, one question was, why do pastors make so much money? So we answered that one. Uh, When we do die, do we immediately go to our eternal resting place or do we watch over our loved ones? Another question we answered. Uh, A few weeks ago, we talked about uh, why we believe in women pastors because we believe that women can be pastors here in our church and in the Church of the Nazarene, which is the denomination that we are part of. We fully endorse and believe that women can be pastors. But in light of 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 Timothy 2, if you know anything about those passages, um, they're kind of tricky if you ordain women pastors. So we talked about that. If you're like, oh, I'm really interested in those questions, go back and check them out and you can get um, our answers to that. And then last week, last week we began a, a discussion that was really difficult. We began a discussion about homosexuality. So um, we are going to continue that discussion, but we're not going to do it today. I told you last week that we were going to continue that discussion today, um, but I told you that without realizing that, without connecting the dots, that we have some baptisms today. So I was like, I don't want to have that conversation while we also have baptisms going on and those sort of things. So we are going to continue that conversation next week. Sound good? So if you, if you missed last week and you, are, and you want to hear that conversation continue, I, and I really need you to go back and listen to last week first. So if you're planning on being here next week and you missed last week, I'm giving you a homework assignment. I need you to go to the YouTube page. I need you to go to our podcast and listen to last week's sermon because it sets up everything for next week. Sound good? Everybody good? Everybody good? Okay, great. Um, So it'll be awesome. But today is exciting because we get to baptize three children. And I've often talked about what baptism is and and what it represents. And uh, really, really short, baptism is a means of grace. In other words, baptism is saying God's grace is big enough for this person, no matter who they are. God's grace is big enough for this person. And so with that in mind, I received a few questions that I believe go right along with with baptism. So the first question that I want to talk about today is one that that kind of hurts when I read it. It It's not like a personal attack on me or anything like that, but I can feel this person's pain and this person's frustration when, when I read these words. And the question is this. Why do I keep failing when I try so hard? I think that's a, that's a good question. But I'm sure that when you read that question too, 
It's like, ah, oh, I've been there before. Why, why do I keep failing when I try so hard? And I don't know who wrote this question. I hope that you're here today if you wrote this question. But I think that this is a question that, that we all can relate to at some point in our lives. And it is so frustrating. Not only do you and I feel this way, but I believe that Paul, who is uh, one of the most famous people in the Bible, also felt this exact way at some point or another. But when he was writing um, the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 7, verses 15 through 20, Paul literally is in this place. Why do I keep failing when I try so hard? So I'm going to read this passage to you, and it'll be on the screen behind me. But when I read this passage, my head spins, okay? It's, very, it's like a confusing passage, the way that it's worded. And so we're going to try to break it down. So as I read it, and if you're like, what does that say? Just hang on. We're, we're, we're going to break it down. So here's what it says, Romans 7, verses 15 through 20. It says this. I do not understand what I do. How many times have you been there? I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do, no, the evil I do do not want to do this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do want, do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. I know this is confusing, right? As we read through this, it's like, what, what does he want to do? Is he doing what he wants to do? Is he not doing, what does he want to do? And I, Paul doesn't even know, right? No, I'm just kidding, he does. But it's like, as you're reading, it's like, okay, first off, what is he doing? What does he want to do? What does he not want to do? And what is good and what is bad? All of these questions that, that go into this. So let's do our best to try to understand exactly what, what Paul is saying. Because Paul is telling us that there is a battle that is going on inside of Christians. That's really what he's telling us. See, we, we have two natures. We have a sinful nature or a sin nature as, as Paul describes it. And then we have a redeemed nature. And this is, this is only when we get to a place where if you call yourself a Christian, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, if you don't, then this, this doesn't necessarily apply to you. Um, but if you call yourself a Christian, then what that would mean is you have two natures in your life. Sinful nature, or the old nature, and the redeemed nature, or your new nature. And we're going to break them down. Here, here, here's what the sinful nature is. The sin nature is the inner desire to do things that temporarily bring pleasure, but really you know that it's not healthy for you. The desire to do evil, which I do not want to do. Because Paul says over and over again, when I do what I do not want to do, he references his sin nature. That's our old nature. Our new nature, our redeemed nature is this. It's our inner desire to do what is good, to please God by following the laws that are beneficial for my life. So we have two natures living inside of us, and they are both a part of us. But ultimately, you have the choice 
You have the decision to make as to which nature you will allow to take over at any moment in your life. That's really the, the, the choice that we have. Now, now, don't get confused here because Paul, he, he's, he's telling us that, he, some, some people may read this and say, oh, is Paul telling us that we're not responsible for the sinful things that we do in this world? Absolutely not. That's, that's not what Paul is saying. Because he says, when I do the things I do not want to do, it is not I myself that is doing it, but it is my sinful nature. So that sounds a little confusing. He's saying, well, this isn't me, it's my sinful nature. But the sinful nature is a part of Paul. But what he's saying is, my identity is no longer found in my sinful nature. My identity is found in my redeemed nature. My identity is found in my new nature. Paul also says in the previous chapter, Romans 6, 12 through 14, he tells us that we are responsible for the actions of the flesh. You are responsible. Here's the truth. In our world today, we don't really like to take a lot of responsibility. We don't, we don't really like to own the ways that we fall short, the, way, the things that we've done wrong. If we do something wrong, we may say, I'm sorry about it, and then a but always follows. I'm sorry, but I only did that because you did this. I only did that because this happened. I only did that because I was having such a terrible day and my car broke down. I only did that because this person is elected president. I only did that because whatever. And we, we may recognize that we did something wrong, but we still play the blame game and we still, we still point to somebody else. And Paul tells us, we are responsible for the actions of the flesh. You're the one making your decisions. Now, you may be influenced, you may be encouraged, but ultimately you are the one who makes the decisions for your life. Doesn't mean that things don't happen that are outside of your control, but you control the way that you respond to those things. You're the, you're the person. But you are one person made up of different aspects, a sin nature and a redeemed nature and a will. You have free will. You have choice. It's totally up to you. And that is what is so agonizing about failing when we genuinely want to make the right decisions. How many times in your life have you been in a situation where you've said, I don't want to do this. I don't know how to stop. I don't want to keep going down this road. And I... I find myself here. I don't intend to be here. I didn't try to get here, but I'm here. And I don't, I, I hate that I'm here. Maybe there's a sin that you keep falling back into and you're like, I don't want to do this and I did it. I genuinely don't want to. But then when I'm in the moment, I don't know how to stop. I don't know how to prevent it from happening. I don't, I don't know how to go down this road. And it's so unbelievably frustrating. And then you feel like, I, 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 I may commit the sin. I may do whatever it is that I don't want to do. And then when it's done, and then I get, I get my right state of mind again, and I pray to God, I say, God, please take this from me. I don't want to do this. I don't want to keep falling. I don't want to keep failing in this way. God, I need your help. And we think, okay, please take it. I'm not going to do it again. And then it comes around again. 
And we're so mad at ourselves. We're so frustrated. See, this is, this is what sin does. Sin is toxic. It's dangerous. It's cancerous and it's contagious. All around. See, when we allow, remember, we have a sin nature and a redeemed nature. When we allow our sin nature to take over, to creep into our decisions, even if it's small, we allow our sin nature to creep in. Maybe, maybe you are frustrated with somebody and you wanted to take it out on them, and so then you started talking about them behind their back to, you, to your other mutual friend, and you said, wait till you hear what Jennifer did. Oh, Jennifer did this. Oh, there's Jennifer here. Sorry, not you, Jennifer. I was, I was trying to think of a name, like a, a name that wasn't somebody here, and I did. Uh, but anyways, oh, wait till you hear what Jennifer did. She did this, this, and that, and we want to talk about her. And because maybe she hurt you, and you're upset, and then you want to take it out. And we let this little, little thing creep into our decision-making. And then once it creeps in, it spreads like wildfire. That's what happens. When sin slightly gets in, just slightly, it can all of a sudden light a forest fire. And then we're struggling even when it is something that we know we don't want to do. And this passage demonstrates why more rules will never fix anything. There's a myth out there that said, hey, if you're a Christian, if you start going to church, there's all these rules you've got to follow. It's not true. It's not true. We think, ah, well, if I... Somebody invites you to church, it's like, yeah, I know it's probably good for me, but I just really don't want to change the way that my life is lived right now, so I, there's too many things that I'm going to have to do then at that point, too many rules I'm going to have to follow, so I, I'm, I'm just going to kind of hang back, and we think, well, there's all these rules that we have to follow, and then a lot of times, if we talk to somebody who is struggling, we say, okay, here, follow these rules, this will fix you, and rules don't fix people. That's not, that's not what fixes people. Rather, it is about submission to the redeeming nature that God offers. That's what it's about. When we get to a place where we say, you know what, I'm not in this to follow rules. I'm in this to submit and hand my life over and say, God, I can't do this because the way I'm making decisions, I'm going down a road. I'm going down a path that isn't healthy for me. I'm going in a direction that isn't going to help me in the, in the long run. And instead, instead, I'm just laying it all at your feet and saying, I believe that you are strong enough to handle this. It's submission. And submission is not something that we often like to do. So why do we keep failing when we try so hard? Because sin is in our world. Because sin is in us. It is in us even after we make the decision to be a follower of Jesus. It's not like all of a sudden we become saved and then it's like, oh, this new nature replaced the old nature that has now gone and out of my life. No, there's both that are still there. And you as a Christian can lean into either one at any moment. We have to understand this. It will always be within us until we leave this earth. So it's your choice. You and I have a choice every single day. Do I give in to my sin nature or do I trust my redeemed nature? That's why the Bible tells us we must pick up our cross daily and follow him. See, following Jesus is not a one-time decision. 
following Jesus is a daily decision. Now, I remember when I was a kid, and I, I, I grew up in the church, so I, I, I have a church background, and I remember, like, in the car, multiple times, praying that I would be saved again, because I was like, oh, I just, I don't want to, you know, I want to make sure, I just want to make sure it's stuck, right? Do you ever do that? I don't know if maybe you do, the, do that even as an adult. But as a kid, I remember always being like praying the sinner's prayer multiple times because it's like, just in case it didn't work the last time, right? So that's not what I'm telling you to do. But what I am telling you to do is if we're going to let our redeemed nature, if, if you're going to let your new nature, because when you become a follower of Jesus, all of a sudden your life should change. There should be a change from your old life to your new life. If there is not a change at some point in your life, then I'm sorry to tell you, you probably didn't actually accept what Jesus has done for you. There should be a change. I've said this many times before, but um, if uh, my, my wife is here, if, if someone were to say to me, hey, how long have you been married? And if I were to say, oh, I've always been married, that wouldn't fly, would it, Lauren? No, absolutely not. No, I'm, I haven't always been married. I got married on this date. May 26th, in case I don't want you to think that I forgot. May 26th, 20, 2013. So if, if nobody says, oh, I've just always been married. But sometimes we say, I've just always been a Christian. And I, and I understand the sentiment behind that because I grew up in the church too. And, and I feel like I've always kind of known, I've always somewhat been a Christian. But really, there was a time in my life where all of a sudden, my faith was no longer my parents' faith, but it was my faith. There's a time where I owned it. And it doesn't have to be a single day. For me, it was like my senior year of high school, junior, senior year of high school, over a period of time, a broad period of time. I was like, oh, I'm understanding this a little bit more, and now I want to live this way because I believe that God is who he says he is, and I believe that Jesus made a difference in my life. So now I had this new nature, this redeemed nature, but my sinful nature is still there. And if we aren't careful... That sin nature creeps in, and it changes things. This then leads to our second question. If we do fail, and if we do fall short, then what next? Someone asked this question. Why is repenting so important? Can't I just believe and be saved like John 3.16 says? And this is a really good question. Another way, another way to put it would be, if we are justified by faith, and forgiven of all of our sins, past, present, and future, because that's what we believe, right? We believe that, that you are forgiven of your sins before you are even aware of it. All you have to do is just accept it. So if we were forgiven of all of our sins, past, present, and future, then why is it necessary to continue to seek forgiveness and repentance? Aren't your sins already forgiven? That's, that's, that's really the question. And here's why, here's why you and I should repent. See, it's not, it's not for God. It's not like God's saying, um, hello, you need to repent. You're not going to make it if you don't repent to me. I can't go about the things that I need to do unless you repent. That's not, that's not what it's about. Repentance is for you because repentance frees us from the sin that has been holding us back. That's what it does. In Acts 3, verse 19, Peter tells us, repent then. And turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. You see, 
in order to get out of the stranglehold that sin has for us, we have to own the sin in our lives, and we have to repent from the sin that is in our lives. We have to confess it. Otherwise, otherwise, it will continue to grow. Because if you've got, and now we've all had things in our lives. We've all had things in our lives where we've, we've been doing something that nobody else knows about. You've you got a skeleton in your closet. Something that you've been doing that is hidden from everybody else. And it would be mortifying to you if those things all of a sudden became public. It would be mortifying. You don't want people to know about it. And we keep it hidden. And when we keep it hidden, it grows. More, 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 and more, and more. That's what sin does. And oftentimes, if we don't confess sin, because if, if we don't confess sin, then it will completely take us over. And it may be because of our shame. It may be because of our pride. And those things may get in the way. But instead, we just hide it. Anything that is hidden in the dark is going to grow. But when it is brought into the light, it begins to lose its power on you. It begins to lose its stranglehold. When you take a sin that you've been hiding from everybody, and all of a sudden you talk to one person about it. Because when it's hidden in the dark, this is, this is what the enemy tells you. You're dirty. You're gross. You're the only one who's struggling with this. And it's despicable. What's wrong with you? That's what the enemy does. And those lies lead to that shame that then causes us to hold on to it close to the chest not allow anybody else to see it because we think if I tell other people about this then all of a sudden people are going to be ooh, you did that? But then you decide you know what, I'm going to talk to one person about this that I trust. And then you realize, oh wait a second you know what you're doing? You're shining a little bit of light on it. Just a little bit of light. Just a little bit. And then all of a sudden, when you shine a little bit of light on something, it's not as scary as it was entirely in the dark, right? This past week, I was sitting on my front porch at night. Sometimes I like to sit, sit on my front porch when the kids go to bed um, so I don't go crazy. But I'll sit on the front porch at night. It was like, I don't know, 9.30 at night. And um, I was watching the Orioles game on my laptop out there and um, just relaxing. And I look up in the corner of my porch, and I'm like, what is that? We have like a little roof over our porch. I'm like, what is that? And I get up and I walk over to it and it's dark out. We have a porch light, but it's like the opposite side of the porch. I'm like, what is that? I was like, is that a, is that a beehive? I'm like, no, it's not a beehive. So I take my phone out and I turn my flashlight on and I try to look at it, but it's still not the greatest light. And I'm like, oh, that's a bat. It's a bat hanging in the corner of my porch. And I was like, I got to get out of here, right? I saw this bat, and I was like, it's going to, like, fly in my hair or something, or, like, I don't know what it's going to do, but I packed up my computer. I packed up. I had some snacks out there, and I was like, I'm getting out of here. I'm going inside because there is a bat 
in the corner. And when I shined the light on it, it started to move a little bit. I was like, uh-uh, not on my watch. I'm gone, right? So I go, and I go back in the house, and, and I told my mom about it the next day. I was like, there was a bat on our porch. It was disgusting. I was like, what's it? Oh, I'm getting out of here. So I went inside, and I was, I was like explaining it to her. Oh, I didn't, Lauren, I didn't tell you about that. So I, I did that on purpose to not tell her about it. Um, but anyways, the next day, or like the, uh, two days afterwards, I walked outside, and it was daylight. And I looked in that corner, and I was like, oh, the bat is back in the daylight. So I walked over to get a closer look, and I was like, huh, it's not a bat. It's a cute little bird. And I realized in the darkness, I saw something that I thought was like kind of scary. But in the light, I was like, that's adorable. This poses no threat to me whatsoever. It's just a little bird that's just sleeping, just hanging out. I don't have to be scared of this at all. And that's exactly what happens to sin. We hide it in the dark, and we're like, oh, no, this is, this is going to ruin me. And then we see it in the light, and we're like, oh, you weren't that scary. You're not that scary. I don't have to worry about you. You actually have no power. You actually have zero control over my life. In the dark, I thought that, you know what? I thought you did, or rather, I gave you control. Because I didn't truly understand. But the minute, the minute that I brought it into the light, I realized you've got no power. That is why we repent. And that's what it does for us. So if you're failing in life, if you feel like you're falling short, if you feel like, ah, I don't know why I keep going down this road, but I do, I'm here to tell you, you've got two natures. Lean into the redeemed nature, not the sinful nature. But if it has a stranglehold on you, bring it into the light. Repent of it. Lay it down at the feet of Jesus and watch him take all the power away from something you gave entire control of your life. Watch him take it away and remove it entirely so that you can live freely. That's why this isn't about rules. This is about freedom. That's what it's about. When we submit, we're not submitting to more and more and more rules. We're submitting and recognizing that there are things in this world that we thought were giving us freedom, that were really holding us back. And now, because I brought it into the light, because now I realize that it doesn't have any power, all of a sudden, I do have freedom. And now I don't have to worry about this garbage in my life. Now I hand it over to the one who handles everything, who is strong enough to handle everything. Now I can get rid of it so it's not holding me back anymore. It's not about rules. It's about submission. And it's about life. And life everlasting. So today, we have the privilege to baptize three kids. And baptism is such an exciting thing. It's a special moment that recognizes that Isla, that Grant, and that Evie are going to fail at times. Right, Mom? going to fail at times, and that's okay. They're allowed to fail. They're allowed to fall short. They will go through difficult times. They will have to deal with their sin nature, 
and their redeemed nature. They will have decisions to make in their life. But through it all, by us baptizing them today, what we are proclaiming is that God's grace is enough throughout their entire life, that God's grace is sufficient. And at this point in their lives, even now, even at a young age, God is covering them with his mercy and with his grace and with his life and hope. That's what we're proclaiming. And that's why baptism is so special. Sometimes we get baptized as an adult, and if you've never been baptized before, talk to me. I would love to baptize you. Baptism is not required for salvation, but it is something that we are called to do. Jesus himself was baptized. If Jesus was baptized, surely we should be baptized. Amen?